Now when they see us in the streets, all they wanna do is take pics, and I'm like, okay. Yeah, and when okay. they hear us on the beat, all they wanna do is make hits, and I'm like, okay. Yeah, okay. And if you're feeling how I'm feeling, now the world should be perfectly fire like a third degree. And suddenly, shawty, we got so high, fireflies. Skateboarding down at Washington. Hello. And welcome to the two red gringos. I'm your host, Phil Baki, and I'm joined by Pat Staley from uh, the uh, his humble abode in Mexico City. But Pat, what's up? It's been a minute. I feel like we start episode every episode with that. It's been a minute. Every time I'm thinking, what should the intro song be? And just you know, chants starting with "We back." Um, but yeah, you know, yeah. you gotta. You got to leave every now and then. You got to let it linger for a little bit. Um, otherwise, people get tired of us. You know, we, yeah. <laughs> we don't have the type of content to put out weekly episodes for these people. <laughs> what uh, what have what have you been up to? Well, you've been, I know you've been world traveler. You've been traveling all over the place for work. Man, I've been gone. Um, well, also, I, I guess it's now time to announce. I don't want to, you know, prop this up too much because we have uh, the full-on wedding. Um, November 30th that that we are anticipating excited for everybody to come join in on uh, but I, I am now a married man that oh. happened in uh, Nueva York some weeks ago <laughs> well congrats man I mean absolutely uh, absolutely elated for you and uh, and your sure. your well, beautiful bride like, save, some. save some for November <laughs> yeah well I mean it is uh I guess it will, you know, the party side of it is, is then, although I'm sure you enjoyed a, a small, uh, small party out there in uh, NYC, too. Yeah, that's true. All, all the usual spots. Um, I, I I think we ate, drank and smoked enough cigars that I was sick for about at least two weeks after the wedding. Um, but yeah, hey, at least <laughs> unlike one time, one trip to New York, I did not wake up in a bathtub. So there's that. Hey, I mean, small victories. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's it's awesome. I'm I'm really happy for you guys, and uh, and yeah, we'll celebrate um, in full together down there in uh, in Mexico City. So it'll be a uh, a go. good a good time. Um, yeah, I just uh, been- well, I just went to a wedding myself. Um, I know this is a sore spot for you try, with Baki weddings. <laughs> I'm trying, trying to get your eye up. I've at least O for two, unless you guys have snuck up in there that I haven't heard about. Yeah, um, I think I think what my sister said was he hasn't followed me back on Twitter, so like <laughs> she threw some <laughs> internet. Wait, am I following the wrong Baki? No, I'm, I'm no, I'm sure you do. Um, it's Lizzie. Yeah, yeah. At no. Lady Baki. Oh, okay, yeah, I I think she was joking. Um, it's primarily just been, um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I was back in Chicago, uh, this past weekend for Lizzie's, uh, wedding and big old party right there downtown. Um, it was like East side athletic club or something like that. Like right downtown was where it was at, um, up on the roof for the ceremony saw the whole Ooh. the whole city and i i don't know i think they need to like go buy some lotto tickets or something because 
they rolled the dice on a Chicago wedding in October outside <laughs> and hit the jackpot. It was in the 60s, wasn't too windy. I don't know. They, they, they rode their luck on that one. Yeah, I don't know how they pulled that off. Hopefully they didn't steal all the good weather wedding luck um, because ours is technically supposed to be the driest day of the year in Mexico City. Um, so I think we're tempting fate too much there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the stats versus versus the uh, the eye test, I guess. Like, it's, <laughs> Do you think the stats will hold up, up. Um, the trends? But... Uh yeah, we've got uh we've got our first pick your poison uh in a while and I want to I want to see what you're bringing to the table cuz I know in episode 1 of this season you you kind of you were kind of doing it to rile up uh old Stan who was who was on our first episode. <laughs> no, this is I mean, it's partially a tribute to you to Stan to one DJ Staley as well <laughs> because it's something that only you guys would probably ever order. Um, and I picked it because it's completely unexpected. You'd have never in a million years would you expect me to walk into a liquor store, buy this, drink this, similar to that. You would never feel or think that Adam Lalana would come on and score late equalizing goal. So this is really a tribute to Adam Lalana. Uh, I'll, I'll put it up here. I want, I feel like Shannon Sharp with this bottle of Hennessy. I want to like zoom the camera in on it. Um, Notice the darkness, the complexity, the imperial pumpkin porter from Epic Brewing. Uh, Porter brewed with pumpkin and spices aged in whiskey barrels. Uh, Typically my nightmare and something that if I drank, you know, uh, on a night out, uh, I probably wouldn't make it that long. So it's coming in at 9%. It's pretty good, too. It's not too – it's more pumpkin-y than than whiskey barrel-y, I'll say. But – you know, in, in tribute to unexpected late equalizers. Uh, here's my poison. <laughs> I, uh, well, I love the pick. And I also love that you've sh- shown, you know, the requisite amount of time. You know, it is late enough. We've had this discussion in the past about pumpkin beers, though the real ones will remember um, the argument oh, yeah. about how early is too early. And you're right there in mid-October, so so no issues with uh, with a pumpkin beer uh, going now. But I uh, I've gone I've gone the you know I'd say the typical direction, I guess. Nothing too surprising, aside from the fact that my first poison is uh, well, it's by Stone, um, and I've got two Stone beers today. Wasn't planning that for any particular reason, aside from the fact from I guess later today we will be ripping on California a little bit, so I got to give them their credit while uh, while I can. Uh, but I've got the Tropic of Thunder Lager. Um, it's a Ooh. tropical lager, so going a little off brand, but um, it is a delicious beer. I'd highly recommend it. Think think it's right up your alley. Um, and then for a little later. I've got the Stone Fear Movie Lions Double IPA. So back on back on track with the with the oh. double. So yeah, excited for that one. And I mean, it. I don't know. Fear. Uh, it's spooky season. You know, it's getting towards <laughs> Halloween, so it felt felt right. Uh, yeah. So so that's what I've We're got. On, that's what I've got. Tra- today. 
<laughs> but uh, weird, weird weekend for, for Liverpool. Um, coming off the international break, we went into this game against United. They are reeling. They're, they're not at their strongest. Really, they look terrible. Um, and we are only able to come out of Old Trafford with the one one draw with that late Lalana equalizer, as you said. Um, we're not going to do our normal kind of breakdown of the match because we've been gone for so long. So I wanted to talk kind of bigger picture uh, with you. But I do want to get a couple of the general impressions out of the way. And the big question I came away from this match with was when Mo Salah or really any of our front three isn't starting is it now imperative that Klopp goes with a more attacking selection in midfield to make up for that absence in the front line? I don't know where this is going to fall in the general conversation that we're about to have, but part of me wants to just go ahead and say no, only because out of the three impact subs that were made, the one not likely to carry on, and <laughs> we'll talk about this later, but the one probably not likely to carry on that form is probably going to be the first one on the team sheet if, if Klopp has his choice and given his history. But <laughs> with uh, – it's just pretty clear now. And whether or not it's Hendo, whether or not it's Wijnaldum, Fabinho, we know he's got his place in the squad. But with or without Salah, there needs to be an Ox, there needs to be a Nabby dimension – in that team, right? Because it's just, and even if we 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 go back to Naby's role uh, previously, like in a, kind of that midfield two, God help me, I'm going to say double pivot. You know that <laughs> that could be something that's it's not even that ultra attacking. Same thing for Ox. So it's just they offer a different dimension in in each kind of three of those more attack based midfielders um, came on and. Even Oxen, you know, when he's out on the wing after he, uh, I, I believe, what came in for uh, Origi and filled into his spot, um, was impactful. Like they, like Shakiri, they have this mindset of, uh, I'm going to pick up the ball, I'm going to run at the defense, I'm going to try to create something, which is the opposite of what, you know, Genie and Hendo uh, bring to the table. Yeah, I think. It was one of those things where we kept seeing, especially from Trent, because uh, we were going down that right-hand side a lot, it seemed like we were dropping the ball off to him and expecting him to play this, you know, raking, deep cross that just cuts out the entire defense. Um, and instead, you know, United was set up to to sit deep and try to head those balls away, which for most of the match they did. You see yeah. the more attacking midfielders come onto the field and suddenly the crosses are coming from more advanced positions further, yep. you know, towards the byline. And the goal comes from an Andy Robertson cross from a good position rather than those deep positions. So is it yeah. just that simple of when you're playing a team that's sitting that deep, play the more attacking players to get further up the field? It can't be. Otherwise, you know, those that know more than we'll ever know in, uh, in a thousand of our lifetimes aren't, aren't doing that. <laughs> so <laughs> to me, uh, I mean, you, you credit Hendo for like captaincy and what he's done previously, but I think we're at that point now where 
Uh, I honestly think, and I, I think probably most everybody else's, and, and Klopp mentioned it today, I think, in the press conferences, that we'll see more of, uh, of Keita. But yeah. it, to me, he's got to be the one coming in. Like, what, because that role, you know, midfield balance offering some support and attack that Naby might be doing on the left, whether it's with Hendo on the right, I, you know, I'm not sure. But dropping Hendo for him seems like the obvious call for me um, because it just doesn't look like Henderson has that has that same confidence on the ball. Um, Genie does at times, but we, we just don't see it against more compact defensive-minded people um, it, like it happened in United in the second half where he just kind of disappeared uh, and wasn't that aggressive like calling for the ball running at the defense type player so it, it's not that simple but but it should be it, it should be as simple as you know you got a 50-60 million dollar midfielder um, that struggled with in- injuries is healthy now and you've got obviously or albeit a captain struggling to to perform at a level that that's really required so it seems obvious but i'm sure it won't be (laughs) the uh the interesting thing um i put it out there post-match of just it seemed like klopp played his kind of big game players and the lineup that he prefers uh especially in midfield when we're playing a team that's you know at or near our level and he thinks it's going to be a battle and he needs to win the midfield um in this case did Klopp kind of fall into the thinking of I'm playing a big team versus yeah I'm playing a good team uh that is gonna (laughs) try to play toe to toe because we know that if United had come out and tried to match you know uh Liverpool style and tried to play attacking, they would have gotten torn apart um, one way or another because we like that. We enjoy to play teams that that want to play. Um, yeah, they play eight defensive players <laughs> out of eleven. Um, it showed. It did showed. we did we play the badge and like the idea of Manchester United over the years rather than? trying to play the team that was actually in front of us. Yeah. And it was this, I don't know, like maybe it's this level of respect that wasn't necessarily apparent from the fan base prior to it, as they're saying like, Oh, we're going to go there and smash United when we're trying to say, well, you know, hang on when we were calling out Ollie for his like, you know, overperformance, like let's slow down a little bit and recognize that they're a really good defensive team. They have no midfield. They have no real goal score outside of Rashford, but there, there was no midfield. Like they, they vacated those spaces. They let Robertson, they let Arnold, you know, get up, not quite into the final third, but just hurling balls from that, that point of view too. So just everybody can go back. And I think we said this with Klopp to death now, but could have made the subs much earlier to, to try to get an impact out of that too. Um, but, but yeah, I think it's, it was credit to United but it was the wrong type of credit in that, you know, we we were expecting them to come out and, you know, they played with some intensity, but not to try to go toe-to-toe. They were always going to sit back. They were going to try to focus on what they actually can do this season, which is defend. Um, and, and we kind of fell into that trap. This, 
this draw kind of ha- got me thinking because there's a lot of dynamics going on in uh, amongst the fan base in terms of how we view players and how we react to a player's performance. Um, and this happens after, during, before, after every single match that we play. LFC Twitter just goes through these insane ups and downs and and crazy, you know, kind of twists and turns of of whether we like a player or not. Um, but just generally speaking, do you think it's the nature of the internet that leads to the fan base just being so transparently fickle um, when it comes to the to players' performances? Like, we go through these moments where Henderson should never wear the shirt again, and then people it seems the the wave comes back around of you know my oh captain my captain you know that's like what what is it about twitter especially that brings out these these crazy kind of ups and downs and crests and valleys of uh of player opinion amongst fans i mean it seems insane I just want to say that we've probably gone on now, you know, you and I have probably been talking for about 30 minutes before and during when we started. And I don't think you've mentioned Adam Lalana by name yet. I, I'm getting there. I'm working up the courage. <laughs> <laughs> almost there. We're you almost have to there. Let me, you know, I, I have this to build to that. I have to say, when, when we get to Lalana, yeah. I scream that I yelled like let out as as the like chance fell to Lalana like I jumped out of my seat I screamed Lalana in a way that I, I don't think I've ever heard like my voice sound like that before it was like this mixture of excitement confusion like nervousness and just like I don't know I think my voice also like cracked three different times throughout saying Lalana but that w- that was my reaction, like mid mid game as it happened. But in terms of highs and lows, um, no no person better than than Lalana to talk about. But I think it's also the nature of how the sport has always been approached by pundits, by you know newspapers, um, journalists, everything too. Like every match, and, and I don't know if it's true, <clears throat> if it if it's more kind of UK based, if it's uh, more continent based. We just don't do that here, right? Maybe with like fantasy football, we're attaching more individual scores and performances. Um, but it's just after every match, you've got player ratings. You've got this, you know, what have you, you know, you're only as good as your last game. I think Babu mentioned something like that today on Twitter. Um, and that's very much what this sport is. And we'll see it with this list of players that we can talk about. But I think it's always been driven by this. I don't know. Maybe the dynamic of the sport, right? When you've got uh, as many as uh, 11 players out there. I don't know if we quite do it as much as baseball, which might be comparable to it. But I I think it's just the approach in general. And then obviously Twitter, social media, and the web's going to make any of this like, you know, amplified by a million uh, in in terms of individual reactions, you know, silky seasons or or (laughs) – Samba rolls or, or, or God help us. <laughs> it's just, it's so reactionary that that's the way Twitter is in general. It's just quick, immediate reactions. Right. Um, 
but it lingers in football too, which I don't think we see quite as much in other sports. The, I mean, that man, Adam Lalana, I will mention him now. Um, he, <laughs> he does, he does kind of embody this whole sentiment. Um, and I wanted to start with him, uh, in terms of our discussion of these perceptions of, of Liverpool players and how they change seemingly, you know, second to second, um, <laughs> Lalana comes on late and I think the reaction of the whole fan base and we, you know, we always talk about the fact that, yeah, we don't see the players day in and day out. The The coaching staff sees the players much more than we do. They know much more than we do. But I'm looking down the bench when Lalana is getting readied and I'm thinking, man, I really wish Shaq was here. I really wish Brewster could come on like anybody except Lalana, you know, and Am I, for a guy who hadn't really done anything in two and a half seasons, am, is there anything wrong with the fan base thinking this seems like a bad decision? Yeah, would would I give my initial reaction to Adam Lalana's face? No, probably not. Like if he was around. <laughs> so we're at the pub and it's probably split about two-thirds Liverpool fans, a third United fan. So it was not, you know, more so in, in LC's favor, but enough there to make it interesting, right, and give it an edge. Um, maybe it was just me and as, uh, it, how loud I was before I screamed Lolana for the chance. <laughs> when, when we see Adam Lolana getting ready, myself and at least three others, uh, it, like, audibly, like, scream no as we see him being ready to. But everybody else had a similar reaction. They were either nodding their or shaking their heads like this this is who we're leaning on in this moment. And so as the two thirds of us are shaking our heads, the third of United fans are all just blatantly laughing at us at this moment. You know, because they're feeling good. They're one oh up. Right. We're thinking like, well this is it for us. Here goes any chance that we had. But that not I'm not saying like that is the right reaction to be so harsh, but doubting Lalana is the smart thing to do, right? <laughs> because everything that he's shown us, whether he started come on as a sub, like Origi, Origi comes on as a sub after the season he had last year, and you have a reason to be hopeful because there's been a track record and consistency of late dramatic goals. The exact opposite is true with Lalana. Just you know, in 30 minutes, maybe he has five, six touches, you know, 50% pass rating and absolutely no goal or assist contribution for literal years. Mm -hmm. So those reactions, the reactions that are based on what have I seen, you know, over a longer course of time, <laughs> you know, as extreme as they can be, are a little bit more grounded in sanity than the, well, Lalana scored a goal. He's a hero put him in the 11 against, you know, in, in the champions league tomorrow. <laughs> the, uh, I don't think that stage. Yeah. The, the one goal. And I think, I think it's important to highlight the fact that Lalana was like, he had a, a good impact. I think when he came on, um, did some decent stuff, but the goal he itself. Good. Yeah. He, he looked, looked good. He looked good. Um, the goal itself though, is a case of, you know, right place, right time. Yeah. Uh, Credit to a good attacking player for, for being there, too. Right. Yeah, exactly. He he got in at the back post, stayed on side, uh, 
you know the the very like basics of <laughs> of attacking in in you the should... opponent's area you can't give them a single shred no <laughs> no so no it is i mean and it's a vital goal right it it i think in yeah. terms of in terms of the season drawing that game instead of losing is so important uh for like maintaining momentum and just not taking that that hit in the league of a loss especially at a bad united team um yeah but there the the story on Twitter became, and and there are some very good people that we really like on the show that I'm not going to name names, but you all know who you are. There are some really good people out there who started the, like, all of you who didn't, you know, back Lalana, like, we know, we've seen. <laughs> so... My initial reaction was, I'm just going to out myself because it should be common knowledge by now that I'm not a Lalana fan. But it became a very, like, I know it was exaggerated on Twitter for for some people, and it was more for fun than anything else. But the the immediate swing of public opinion into Lalana genius... uh, (laughs) was a little too much for me i don't know how did you feel about this weird shift this like seismic level shift that happened right after the goal i was enjoying it only because like even my my examples just kind of uh, perfectly kind of characterize like (laughs) the the backwardsness of I don't know. If we think about like, like, oh, always support the team. You know, always support the players wearing wearing the wearing the kit, the badge, anything like that. It's bullshit. It's bullshit because we don't. Because I (laughs) we we literally scream no whenever Adam Lalana came on, and then we're screaming, we're like cheering Lalana, we're saying all this after he scores, and it's so. Like it's ridiculous. Like in any other context, about you know any other view to a person, it (laughs) it just doesn't happen in any other scenario in the world. So, I you know I have not been. I'm not even going to say that. I've probably been just as critical about Lalana as you have too. But I I just had to have fun with it because you have to think like you know are all of those horrible things that we've said about Lalana the past two years now like eradicated and false. No, they're still true. Like, is he going to be an impact player going forward? Probably not, right? Even when he was at his peak, he had a couple months spell where where he was he was doing well. So, I am not, you know, I don't think we're going to be ushering in an an Adam Lallana era <laughs> of impact performances. But uh, you know, we might see one or two new uh, Lallana seasons uh, popping up on Twitter now. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I—I I mean, you—you you have to be happy for a guy where you think he—he's been, you know, kind of toiling in the team for a while. He's been well outside of any type of starting role just because of how much the level of the team changed since he joined. Um, so you have to be happy for him to grab a goal and and an important one. Uh, I do wish that he had, you know ran it back to the center circle, but that's, uh, <laughs> that's, 
Ox still almost <sighs> wins the game, which which broke my oh. heart a little bit. Um, I didn't see that until today. As that shot fizzed past the post, that was oh, that, deeply what, upsetting. What about Trent? <laughs> um, so Trent, no, it was the the full volley, like sliced volley, that uh, just kind of carried upward. That one, I'm I'm losing it. Like the day is ruined. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm I'm going to be in trouble when I come home. Right. By how how that would influence the way the day has gone. Just but, shots. Like, the ox one was ugh, yeah. I I, I thought, thought you meant when ox over there and try to get you know fist pounds from the uh, United supporters. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but also, also winning the game. Yeah. The so yeah, Lolana's Lolana's journey is a little bit of a um it's it's one of those strange ones where the team has kind of passed him by, but there are, are still uh <laughs> there's still this kind of sentimental, I guess, uh kind of feeling around him. Um but happy for him to get the goal, and it was an important goal. So I, I, I do have to give him credit, um, th- no matter how much it may pain me. Um, but the next player on the list that I want to talk about is, in terms of their perception, is Joel Matip. Um, <laughs> he, uh, bad guy. He, after joining Liverpool becomes a kind of middling figure. Everybody is like, uh, you know, him or Lovren. I'm not really sure, uh, who I prefer or is, um, you know, do we need to just replace them both? And now in the last few months, uh, since, you know, Lovren spent a lot of last season out injured, Gomez was injured, um, after, getting his uh, leg broken at Burnley. Um, Matip kind of forced into the side and plays phenomenally for half a season. Mm -hmm. We had preached for years, it feels like, uh, that Matip was a a solid defender who just wasn't getting enough. You know, he wasn't starting consistently and, and all this, but he had the quality to be a good performer for us. Now sentiment has gone so far Matip's way <laughs> that even when he's not good, LFC Twitter exclaims how good he is. Do you think it's, there's almost an element of trying to appear smart um, by giving credit to a player who's not Van Dyke or, Fabinho or these guys who have been, you know, kind of established as as top tier, uh, especially defensive players. Yeah. Is it just trying to seem like cool and knowing? Oh, I watch like <laughs> off the ball. I watch, <laughs> I watch the guy who's not Virgil. You know, because Matip, as you said on Twitter, not his best outing against United. No, he struggled, right? And even I can't remember which which fan site it was that listed like you have four choices. I don't think they listed Lalana. They, they either didn't list Socks or Nabby, one of the two. But they listed Matip, and I'm like, the dude, like not even like I test or anything like that. I think from in, in defensive we as we've seen from like the 
you know, all of like the defensive comparisons between Virgil and all that for, for a good center back, I think, I don't know if we said this before, but in American football, like a good, a good cornerback is not always going to have the most tackles. They're not always going to have the most interceptions because they completely shut down the opposition and they're not targeted. Yeah. And that is almost, that is almost like the, the only player really that I've seen had that much of an impact is Virgil van Dyke on, on the football pitch. Yeah. Um, and so, but what Matip has done really well at, cause I want to give him credit because he, what, you know, premier league player of the month, you know, or club player of the month, whatever, like awesome, right? Congratulations. Like yeah. I'm still a little shocked because how can you be the player of the month when, you know, the guy, your partner is, is you know, outperforming and better than you. But anyway, um, <laughs> To, to me, like when you go in, like Matip's always going to have those Im- Im- improved stats because he's going to be marking the player that is not going to be targeted. But to his credit, he's done extremely well in one-on-one situations up to up through this season. He's like the the perf- like aerial duel percentages of Matip and Van Dyke are wh- where they're at right now is unheard of. I think Matip's at like 88% win yeah. and like above 70. Uh, is 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 elite. I don't know if that's Simon Brunish or Dan Kennett that has has been spewing that all over Twitter, but yeah. but but I've just seen him struggling at times and things that you don't like. They're not going to come up as errors, right? You know, if if you fail to track somebody, that's not a defensive error that you're going to get dinged with and that they'll track, right? Like Skirtle, Skirtle would do it all. He would have own goals. He would have defensive errors leading to goals, and he just wouldn't do the basics of defending. I had to take a shot at Skirtle. Um, <laughs> I mean, we knew but, we were, where this was headed. <laughs> can't talk center back, bad performances from center backs without talking Skirtle. But same thing for Matip. It's just, you know, he's he has been really good. I think, you know, I'm, I'm always going to be of the opinion that I think Gomez is the way forward, but he, he's been operating at a level above even what we saw when Lover and, and Van Dyke were pairing well. Um, but I've just seen just, you know, again with the eye test, just a lack of confidence, right? And against Rashford, he was left for dead twice, yeah. comically, just comically destroyed one kind of tracking back on the wing another is is I, I think rashford was kind of building from the middle but then obviously on the goal like you just got to stay with him right put yourself between the uh, james who was passing or creating the chance and rashford and he was just you know kind of twisted like a pretzel on that one so yeah. that's the thing am i going to want matzap out of the squad now not necessarily because gomez hasn't been the the strongest in, in performance as well and injuries can always play a part but for me it's just a little I, I just feel a little insulted for Van Dyke first and foremost because Matip's getting all the praise and the only way Matip's performing at this level is to have Van Dyke alongside of him yeah I think I think there is this line where Matip was a very important player for us last season down the stretch because of the absences uh in in defense and i mean we're we don't you know we're not lovering fans we he you know to us he's essentially reached that skirtle level i think of <laughs> he's kind of he's or lalana if we're being more more recent yeah <laughs> but um but matip i think has reached that point where like you said um 
if we were talking about Skirtle, the Rashford move uh, where he cuts from left to right was extremely, like, almost PTSD-level reminiscent of Martial against Skirtle in um, 2015. Um, One of Brendan's last games as manager of of Liverpool, um, where Skirtle just, in that one, and Matip in this, it was luckily not a goal, um for united but it led to rashford having basically a free shot from the edge of the area matip gambles that he's gonna go down the line but he's a right-footed player running down the left so it was like one of those moments where all of a sudden he's absolutely free yeah on the edge of the area and it was like what just happened um and watching it back you can just see that matip sets up to to kind of try to usher him down the line and gives him the entire center of the field to run into. Um, and and we're lucky not to concede. Uh, and it would have been 2-0 at that point and probably game over um, given how things went. Yeah. So is there, with those kind of moments, is there a fear almost amongst the fan base to be critical of players who are fan favorites or who have emerged as important players for the team. Is there almost people are a little like gun shy to say, Hey, I didn't think Matip was very good today because of the potential hate that they could get. Yeah. One, I think fan sites like that, that probably know better. They're probably the ones that are influenced by it to say like, uh, let's throw Matip, Matip in there because, you know, we, we got to pick player, you know, man of the match. And, you know, he, he's been hot lately, so we'll just ride that out. Right. But then it's just also the general, like, you know, fans that aren't as in touch, typically like the ind- smaller individual accounts, that'll be like, oh, you know, Matip performed well, uh, aerial duels, challenges that just let you know three incredibly large chances just just kind of go by so i think it's more hesitation from the large accounts and the smaller accounts are just probably you know not quite as in tune in terms of the balance of play and performance from players but yeah it does lead to that that strange kind of complex where matip not rated at all early in his career people were like i prefer lovren I, I just yeah. like what he gives us, blah blah blah. And now, <laughs> now you couldn't see Yeah. Now you couldn't you couldn't tell anyone that like not that we do, but you couldn't tell anyone, oh, I'd prefer Lovren in there. Like you would be flamed <laughs> to the end of days, which not oh, yeah. and not wrongfully so, I guess, but uh but the opinion swinging so far the other way is is a little comical, especially when some of these big accounts do it. But um yeah. But yeah, the next uh, the next kind of like category of player that I wanted to talk about was um, I think Jordan Henderson and Joe Gomez kind of fall into this category uh, for a little bit different reasons. But Henderson and Gomez both enjoyed spells last season where they were playing at a level that was would seem much better than what than what they were doing, and then Henderson especially playing in that number eight role 
it was starting to seem like okay he's he's kind of back to this old yeah. attacking box to box kind of style where he's he's best utilized and so both players rose in in terms of fan opinion because of these good performances i mean gomez at the beginning of last season was imperious in central defense yeah now they've both fallen off of of the level and henderson it's been a matter of you know three weeks where it's like you know he he's the best central midfielder for us to now he's you know shouldn't start and and all this stuff burning kits yeah we're, we're stepping <laughs> burning kits on on twitter so where is the line i guess between the rightful criticism of a player who's not performing at at the level that we're used to versus the just completely overdone kind of unfair criticism that uh sometimes comes in for these players where all of a sudden their their careers are being questioned i mean that that line doesn't exist there's no we you can't we can't even talk about it right because like the worst thing the worst thing you could do is like on an opinion-based podcast or punditry or anything like that is be neutral, which I think is painful for us because we're smart enough to recognize that, you know, just about any right and wrong scenario, uh, you know, obviously lands in the middle. Right. But there, there's always a balance. But I will say this uh, about Hendo um, and admits – well, first let me admit some wrongdoing with Gomez um, because I, you know, I've been calling for it, calling for it probably a little bit too long. Um, and I, I've sent you a few messages before about things that happened in our expat LFC group chat um, yeah. and preference for Matip and, and slating Gomez. Um, <laughs> but, but they've been proven right this season, right? Sure. And one, one game where Matip struggles against Rashford doesn't change that. Like Matip should continue to be the the second center back name on, on the team sheet until Gomez earns that right. Um, and it's not just a matter of one or two games, but it's just trends of what we've seen. Um, not that we follow all those trends, but one I think that has been there, and this has been painful for me because we've always been big Hendo fans, but I think it was even maybe three seasons ago where we kicked off what would have that been season season four right for us yeah i guess or yeah three or yeah. four counting, this season, counting yeah. this season right like right so first episode you know we're talking about who our who our best 11 is um in you at the time and i was in agreement with you called for both hendo our our captain and milner our vice captain to be dropped <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right. Not saying that they're bad players. We're not saying that they don't. They're not. They they can't have a positive impact. We won a Champions League with Hendo. Yeah. But also, like Hendo in and of himself was not the catalyst for for that Champions League. You know, he performed. Right. But in, in terms of impact in the squad, uh, I think we have to say he's he's at the bottom. Right. Where who could we drop and improve? I think it's Hendo. And it's been Hendo for some time, as much as it pains me to say it, because he wasn't necessarily that in the six, and even probably since 13, 14, he really, he really hasn't been able to shine like he had previously, too. So, I mean, that, that to me is a fair, fair point to say 
Hendo can perform, he can come up with some big moments, but there's an obvious weakness. So he, and it's most likely Hendo. Yeah, I mean, it is it is tough to admit that, especially when they it is the captain and and it's a player that has been important, and we we do enjoy a a Hendo cross every now and again. Uh, I would hmm. say it in recent weeks it hasn't been quite as pleasing as uh, as it has uh, before. But I think is that. <laughs> Is that the, uh, you know, the decision of whether a player is in our best 11, um, does it kind of belittle, I guess, the fact that all of these players are going to experience these like ups and downs where, yeah, you know, Hendo may not be one of our best three center or central midfielders right now, but that's okay. Is that is that just kind of like what we what we have to admit just as a fan base where it's all right if these players are contributing at the level that they're you know performing at right now? Well, yeah, right. Obviously, like if we're <laughs> rational people, our, our response is that. But the irrational and hot take would be to say, no, like Hendo needs to be dropped. He's not performing. Like the. Like, we'll see it against weaker sides, but against, like, you know, if this was a United team that was, you know, had any type of, like, tactical aptitude at, at, at minimum, like, that could compete, then Hendo's a key person in that. Like, you know, Chelsea, even with their youth this season, has, has shown promise and could do that. City is another one where you need, you know, you need his his leadership, you need his intensity that will add to it. But there's always a place for these players. You can't just say like, this is our best 11 and only play them from time to time. I think some runnish mentioned something about like number of minutes that we're already coming up on and that we have, we have to have rotation. So it's good now that we're talking about, I mean, we're, we're still, we still haven't lost a match this season. So to be in a place (laughs) where we're talking about impactful players in the eleven. Um, we're in a good place to be because we know we can rely on Hendo to come up with big moments in big games. But is he necessarily the that that first name midfielder that we want to see? No. Like we know that tactically he might lack something that Navi brings to the table or Chamberlain brings to the table. So there, there's a rational answer for this, but I'm trying to avoid that um, to to stick with the hot takes. So I'm gonna <laughs> say Hendo benched. Go out there and burn your Hendo jerseys. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, you've given me, you have given me a good segue to the next to the next group, and um, <laughs> that is Ox and and Keita. Um, the two players who have struggled with injury, obviously, Ox has has struggled with injury kind of throughout his career. Uh, Nabi has been. I would say mismanaged by his national team. And I'm not sure why we keep releasing him to the national team because they keep doing these awful things. Um, it's tire like Monte. Yeah, exactly. Well, and then get suspended for not going to the, to AFCON. Um, 
that's a that's a throwback to a couple seasons ago where he he refused to join Cameroon and got suspended uh for the time that AFCON was going on um but two players struggled with injury they they've struggled with injury this season Ox obviously coming back off that long layoff um you know the entirety of last season essentially until about the last month or so the the impact of these long injuries obviously in practical terms it means they're not playing um but in terms of the perception by the fans these long-term injuries seem to have a weird uh impact depending on whether you're performing well at the time of your injury where if you are in the case of ox everyone is like i can't wait to get ox back uh but we don't really allow for the fact that he's not going to be the same exact player that he was the second that he was injured um yeah because that's you know not how the human body works um (laughs) but for Nobby, for Nobby, it was it was a little strange because it's almost like Nobby's good form was it kind of evaporated the second that he wasn't available. Uh, yeah. So this kind of double standard of you know we're expecting peak Ox, and then Nobby is just back to square one in terms of earning the fans' trust. Where do you think that kind of strange narrative comes from for? for players who have these long injury layoffs. I don't know, man. Idiots. But... <laughs> <laughs> I, all right. Let me, I'll, I'll leave with the hot takes and that Ox is finished and he was never, he, he hasn't improved on the player that it was on Arsenal. Um, even though we know, try not to lean too much into stats because we're trying to avoid stats and just eye test. But I te- like when you see Ox, like something looks like he's going to happen. I think it was, I don't know if it was Sam or who said it, but, I can't remember where, but somebody said like Klopp has given Ox the green light to just pull from anywhere on the pitch. Like, yeah. and you feel like something could happen, right? Bang, bangers only yeah. with Ox. But, and I'm um, fine with that. It, uh, we're cool with that, right? It's not like the center back, you know, running up 40 yards and then everybody screaming, shoot. And then they just, you know, launch a leverage <laughs> shot like 30 yards over there. Like Ox is like one. Even even when he's not close, he's close. Um, but but Nabby too is like you know basically hot take same basically Fred, right for United like you know around fifty million spent hasn't made an impact looks terrible all that despite the fact that <laughs> in what like sixteen minutes of play uh, again I didn't want to get too into stats but like his <laughs> chain or contribution is like absurdly greater than just about any other midfielder except for Fabinho, I think. Yeah. So, but this is what blows my mind. Both players, like if we're keeping with the eye test, like both Ox and Navi are just like, you look at them and you can see it. You see, you not, you don't just see the talent, but you feel something's going to happen. Um, and I'll give a little bit of credit to Lana, the way he performed like I kind of felt that same way about him that match, which I hadn't seen before, um, where he was a little bit more aggressive. The the kind of move or skill moves that he made actually had an impact on keeping possession uh, or recycling it too. But for right. Nabby, it's just when he's on the pitch, and this has been 
you know, bar maybe a game or two right right after coming back from injury each time. But when he's on the pitch, it's it's just a different level of performance and a different dynamic that no other player on the pitch gives us, right? Maybe aside from maybe Firmino, right? He might be the most skilled player, even more so than Firmino, um, just in terms of overall talent, the football might be the best player on the pitch. Um, and that's what we knew and that's what we've seen. So for that to just kind of evaporate um, blows my mind. So that's why I kicked things off and just said idiots. <laughs> no, I mean, we we did have this this period of, I would say, you know, higher level performances from Nobby at the end of last season and a couple of games that came in absolute handy, obviously, uh, you know, got his first goal finally against uh, Southampton and then scored against Porto in the Champions League later that week. So um, we know the the impact that that Nobby can have. And I think at this point, you know, we we see the the change in the team and we've talked about and I think it's been talked about a lot by, you know, our our hero accounts, if you will, um, the uh, Sam Maguire's and, and size and uh, Babu's of the world. We, we know that they've talked about how Klopp has changed his tactics each year, just a little bit. He's made these subtle changes to how the team plays to try to find um, the way to break teams down, the way to, to way to, the way to win the league. Essentially that's a, we know he's made these subtle changes when a player like Ox or, or Nobby is out for, you know, the amount of time that they were, even a couple of months, let alone a whole year, um, how much of an impact does it have when they try to come back in a system that is even just slightly different from the one that they left when they got hurt? Do you think there's kind of a a grace period almost where it's like they have to learn not a new role, but a slightly different way of playing. I think for Dabby, that that would have the biggest impact on him because I think in terms of minutes and potential for 11, he's the first choice out of, let's just say, like uh, out of uh, Keita, out of Oxlade-Chamberlain, out of Lalana. He's the one out of the three that's going to get going to get the call, but also the position and role that he plays if you notice it, it's not like we're bringing on a 10 with him, right? We're not we're not bringing on this attacking midfielder that's pushing up and doing, you know, into the final third and creating from there, but it's all about more of a uh, I would say just probably the most natural 8 that that we have, right? Ox to me, I I think that's his best role. But it's not maybe necessarily a natural right natural role. Right? He's caught almost between like a winger, winger and an eight with his skill set. Um, but Navi, for me, like the only thing, and we've talked about this before. Um, one thing that we have to not appreciate, but be okay with, is his ability to adapt and maybe lose the ball. Right? We I think we were talking about that last season. Like that's going to happen. Like if you want somebody to run at defenders, to dribble past defenders, to create like more so what we kind of wanted from Coutinho, like they're going to lose the ball. Um, and that's what I think 
uh, a player like Navi's going to have to focus on the most is because he's going to he's going to offer the most balance out of the three um, in terms of both what his natural position is and what his skill set is too. Because like from defensive support, interceptions, tackles, I don't know, <laughs> create, created chances through balls, like everything, like it's a perfect balance. But through that, <laughs> like if you have one of those, you're not going to have the other, right? Like if you've got a player like beating, you know, that that's beating defenders off the dribble, that's creating chances those are also going to be the moments where they're losing it too. And so with our, with our adjusted, I think more, more compact setup that can be heightened, I would say, right. Where, where he loses the ball might be closer to where like Matip and Van Dyke are setting up or closer to Fabinho who might not be, or Vinaldum who might not be as close behind the ball. I think it was, I, I always just say Sam, Sam McGuire by default, but I think mm-hmm. he talked about like or specific moments where uh, a player lost the ball when Alden was up near them in front of them, and after that his role completely changed, right. right? And he became this more like didn't attack, had to sit back a little bit more. So for me, the tactics like I, I see Ox and I, I don't. Let's be honest, I don't see Lilana like this, but I see Ox as kind of like that impact player who can come on make a difference against against lesser teams um, as an impact sub. Uh, so, so of course, the tactics will have to change a little bit for them. But for Navi, who wants to be a part of the, the day in, day out 11, that that is the one that I think we'll, we'll need to kind of keep an eye on in terms of his adjustment to it. It is a... It, it, it's a weird, you know, a weird world out there on, uh, on football Twitter, and we know this. Um, the... The whole the whole appreciation, I guess, of a player is gonna depend game to game, <laughs> and that's just the reality. I guess we have to we have to accept. But I am, uh, I as I think through kind of the whole, um, especially for players that haven't had really the chance to prove themselves to the level of the big the big players on the team where they've been either in and out with injury or they started kind of with a different role or, or whatever it, it is interesting to see these things change. Um, and I think one of the crazy things about Twitter is that if we take a snapshot right now of the opinions of the squad, like if I could just say, you know, lukewarm, hot, cold of each player that, that is contracted to Liverpool currently, I can almost guarantee that by the end of the season, it will, with a few, well, about seven exceptions, there will be (laughs) a huge change in a lot of the opinions around these other players in the squad. And that is, that is just a reality of, of football Twitter and and LFC Twitter. Um, We're not going to, things are going to change graphic like a little infographic about you know the highs and highs and low bars like before and after like where we are right now where we'll be at the end of the season with each player <laughs> that's a little you know I, I you and i can be a little condescending and, and, and negative towards members of the fan base and lsc twitter so i i think we'll refrain from that um but to move from from the 
kind of the gray area of Liverpool and into the the very distinctly incredible. Um, the Ballon d'Or shortlist was published. Th- the 30 players who are up for the final award um, on the men's side were announced and seven Liverpool players out of the 30 were nominated. Um, that has to feel, I think I saw a tweet from you earlier or a retweet from you earlier that yeah. kind of encapsulated just how nuts um, this, this kind of change of Liverpool has been over the past couple of years. The, I, I, I can't remember right now, but what it was about, you know, you're sitting there at, I don't think he referenced the Stoke game. Was it the United game? It was, I think it was Everton he was talking about. Um, <gasps> October 4th, 2015, I believe. <laughs> um, yeah, here it is. 4th October, 2015, Dower Derby draw or Darby draw, excuse me, leaving us 10th in the league. Someone taps you on the shoulder and says, in four years, you'll be European champions and you'll have a quarter of all the Ballon d'Or nominees in your team. (laughs) Exactly how insane would you have thought this person was? (laughs) Perfect. Like, who who was the the tweeter there? That was uh, at Stephen D1977, a.k.a. Steve Davies. Oh, Always with the stay or the stay. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, quick quick nomination. We didn't mention him for, you know, heroes, but uh, definitely a peak, peak Twitter right there with that one. Yeah. But no, like how crazy – there is no – there's no sunshine. There's nothing on the horizon for us at that point. <laughs> it, these were dark, dark times, and I think our episodes reflected that then. Yeah. But, but – <laughs> You know, all of these footballing awards are, are so ridiculous, right? They're, they're, yeah. they're so ridiculous. But to to get to the point where, like, any of those names, too, like, Genie was a surprise for me. To see Vinaldum, like, yeah. on that list. But, you know, that's there, – there's never been a stat to quantify his impact except for the fact that I think our, you know, points tally – is exceedingly higher with him in the 11 than when it's not. Right. Um, but no, just to, to look at that and say each and every one of those players, like if you carved out a, which they do, but which will have probably no impact on the players that were on the short list, when <laughs> they carve out like, you know, the, the, uh, the 11 for that season, like you can put Salah up there. You can put Mane up there. You could put Bobby up there. You know, we, we I think we would put Genie on there, but definitely Trent Van Dyke without hesitation, and Allison is the best goalkeeper. Each of these, respectfully, are the best player in the world at their position, um, which is absurd. Which is absurd <laughs> when you think about like where we've come from, but you know, also you know what what money can buy you. And we spent big on some of these players, but others were just kind of run in the mill purchases too or you know with trent coming up from the academy and what was the tweet like buying Mane by van dyke from uh southampton 
buying Genie from Newcastle. You know, yeah. Salah, we had questions about his impact whenever he signed. I think we said the same thing about Mane. Like, why is that yeah. the player that we're spending 30 million pounds on at the time? Um, and then you've got the no-brainers like Van Dyke and Allison that have, you know, nobody mentions a price tag anymore because they've completely changed the market in right. terms of what people now have to pay for those two positions. So the it's just awesome. Right. To truly like it was still surreal last year to say we're one of the best teams in Europe. Yeah. Right. And it's still a little bit surreal to say it now. So to have that that validation and this, you know, this mentality monsters <laughs> way of thinking that that is now permeating through the fan base and a, a United team that's completely set up to stall our offense to to try not give in at all mm -hmm. to have a late equalizer and but also to be confident about that to be confident in like one of two it's <laughs> is just something that completely blows my mind and it's you know not just a credit to these players obviously but also you know admitting my shame and the the Klopp versus carlo uh this <laughs> a, a manager that's completely changed the, the status of a club like like Klopp has is we saw some ridiculous, you know, comparison to to Ferguson and Klopp doesn't have that C V, right? But no. the impact that that Klopp can make on a club now is is like a, a Guardiola or it's like a Mourinho. There's only a tiny, tiny handful of managers in the world that, that can have this impact and, and Klopp's done it. And I think it's kind of crazy, like just to go off the Klopp thing for a little bit is it's not even just a performance shift because we've seen, you know, we've seen, I, you know, I Guardiola, I think is a, is a good example. Mourinho, I think is another good example where they will come in and shift performances of a team quickly. Yeah. They'll come yeah. in, they'll make an impact on the team um, where Klopp, I think sets him, himself apart is the culture that surrounds the team and surrounds the whole fan base from day one. It was a, a conversation with the fans of, you know, change from doubters to believers, all this stuff. Um, so I think, I think Klopp has, and you know, we'll see if it, it pays off in, in terms of trophies, because ultimately that's what he'll be judged on and that's what, what will put him ahead of other managers. But in terms of the cultural impact that he's had and the, I mean, we don't have, there's not many games where people walk away. Remember like one of the big things we would talk about was atmosphere at Anfield. Yeah. I can't remember the last time <laughs> that we've needed to talk about that. You know what I mean? Where it's like, yeah. The, it's just been such a shift from from what it was where, yeah, people would show up and just sit silently while we lost 3-1 to West Ham. And um, those were those were just – and then, you know, Brendan would, would compliment the, the squad's character and, and everything would be fine. Uh, so, yeah, it, the, the shift has just been insane in terms of the the whole culture around the team and – um, and I think, you know, that really Klopp is, is, uh, is at the center of all that, but 
these players, as he said, you know, Mo, Sadio, Firmino for a lot of people, I'd, I would like to think that I, <laughs> I've i been a... You're ahead of the curve on... Uh, but Bobby is the <laughs> only one. I question the Mane purchase. I question Salah. Um, question Wijnaldum. And so, yeah, like all of these players coming through um, and, and being the players that they are is uh, a credit to the the staff but also themselves for for um you know Mane was an instant impact and um so was Salah I guess so yeah uh the two I think of them it was a few months in when Salah already had what like a dozen goals and we're yeah. like <laughs> if he just stops now like it's he... a good season <laughs> it's been a good side right and then of course he goes on to to break the record and you know continue just to perform and I think what he's had is his hottest start to a season this season um yeah than uh any of any of the others yeah and now the crazy thing so those seven players nominated for the Ballon d'Or is 2019 just that crazy that <laughs> wild in Liverpool fandom that it still feels like Rabo got snubbed at left back did any other left backs make it onto the short list I would have to look. I'm, so, like, I'm I can't think Marcelo left back or right back. I think he he's a left there. back. We'll we'll have to bring up the short list. Although also, I don't think he's on he's not on here. Marcelo. Oh, okay. Okay. Well I I genuinely don't think that there is another left or that there is a left back yeah. on this list. Well, let's think about what the list is, right? If if the Ballon d'Or shortlist was these are the 11 best players and like we're going to make not even the 11 best, but the just the starting 11 of the best player at every position. And from that, we are going to decide who the best player in the world is. That kind of makes sense to me. Sure. What they do now with Marquinhos or <laughs> was were people included that should not have been? Yes, I love that Harry Kane was not included. That filled me with so much joy. Not fact, seeing. Someone... <laughs> let's 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 be let's be real about this. If the fact that Sun Hyung Min is on the list and Harry Kane isn't. <laughs> Must just burn oh, I Harry love Kane to the very core. Oh, he's he's leaving. He's gone. He already handed in his transfer request behind closed doors. But uh, Oblak is not on the list, and Hugo Lloris is, who yeah. hasn't been good for I don't know two seasons now. I mean, yeah, he won a World Cup, but you know, whatever. But <laughs> is like what was Robertson a snub? Was Fabinho a snub? In terms of like the way that they rolled this list out, yes. In terms of if we're generating a short list to say who is the best player on the planet, yeah, are Rabo or or Fabinho in that conversation? No, right, right, no. Is a, a player like Alexander Arnold Trent is Trent in that conversation? No, right. Yeah, I so, mean. Like, He's the best. Like I'll say this: He's Trent the best at what he does. The best at their position. Yeah. Right. Are they in the same conversation as I would say? Even you know, like let's say Virgil Van Dyke and 
uh, Allison, who transform and transcend with their impact. Uh, I would say even what Trent and what Robertson offer, um, Virgil Van Dyke to another extent too, is Genie in the conversation of the best football player in the world? No. Bobby Firmino is unique in what he does, so I'm going to leave that there. Sadio Mane is he, in spite of in spite of LSE Twitter and what Messi had voted, no. Like Virgil Van Dyke, Mo Salah are the two that if you hold it up against, I don't know, basically Messi for me, like yeah. that that's the conversation. And I think Mane Mane's Mane's pretty much there as well. Um, but it goes back into the what's the general consensus versus real impact, and we've said it like Mo Salah is the the impact player for for the our, our attacking front three as well as Bobby, which is you know more intangible. But right. that to me that like that's the short list. Like who like who who are the top eleven? And yeah, then yeah, include those players or give us a real short list and just say who is really in the conversation to be the best player in the world. But all of that's kind of bullshit now because what Modric won last year, God knows how. <laughs> Not even <laughs> didn't even crack top what thirty this year. So were they snubbed? Yes, in terms of the way it's organized. Is it organized properly? No. All of these are just bullshit crapshoots. Yeah. <laughs> I it, I mean, in terms of humor of a nomination, I would say Marquinhos has to be the the most absurd um that when someone asked who is the best footballer <laughs> on earth someone said Marquinhos but the the other one that blows my mind is Riyad Mahrez is on the short list <laughs> he played like 11 games for City last season yeah could he be maybe like maybe like you know one <laughs> When, whenever Lester won the title, sure. Like, since he moved to City, he, he's a sub. Yeah. <laughs> right? Some players got now he started. I, yeah, I was looking at that list, and, you know, you just, you just scratch your head. Like, it defies, it defies logic. All of these awards where a player can win, like, the best at their position, but then not be included in the best 11 in the world. Like, <laughs> that that drills deep into my brain and <laughs> something that that I, I I can't express in words. But but no, like the Ballon d'Or still has some, like glory to it. So some of these are absolutely ridiculous. But uh, I think between Salah, probably Mane and Van Dyke, we have a true like you know kind of class of just truly world-class players um that are on that short list for it yeah and it is it is incredible to see our 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 boys in the in the conversation at least um especially when they're talking about favorites to win it and and verge you know having won uefa player of the year um has a legitimate shot at at winning the ballon d'or which is just uh a crazy thing to think about given <laughs> you know you think about obviously as we talked about liverpool defenders over the years yeah <laughs> <laughs> to go from martin skirtle to 
potential Ballon d'Or winner. Yeah. And the time is right, too, for Van Dyke. I don't know. I think there's been enough about, like, the... I don't know if any other player gets this, but just the level of, like, you know, kind of ridicule and the way people look at his performances through a magnifying glass. Yeah. I, I just don't see from any other player in the world. But Messi almost has that Jordan kind of complex to him where they're always going to look like Modric last year, like, or, you know, with Jordan, it was basically like any other reason. Find it. Um, and I think Van Dyke's got the credentials to, to pull it off. It'll probably be messy. Yeah. Um, but you, you couldn't, you know, we ridicule Modric now. You know, he kind of had the CV to pull it off last year, but they were looking for the reason. I think Van Dyke's got enough behind him to uh, to do it. I'm, uh, I mean, if Messi wins, then the gifts of Rabo uh, pushing Messi in the head during the <laughs> second leg last season of the semifinal yeah, will will yeah, make the rounds. Him. And yeah, the little kid giving him the. Uh, <laughs> Giving him the business, I guess the uh, the youth player, um, which LC Twitter got a lot of criticism for, even <laughs> from like even from some of the more neutral, like large, kind of Arsenal United fan accounts, um, like say, oh look at look at LFC fans like ridiculing like Messi and it's like, like come on, a little kid's running by flipping them off after they <laughs> after they just completely folded. <laughs> on that lead so the best part of that gif is is the steward chasing the kid too just in a full sprint um in terms of i i i i said we weren't going to bring up the suarez akon piece (laughs) Uh, we won't which we won't (laughs) but in terms of fans running onto the pitch videos the kid versus messi or the guy basically like, you know, wanking off to the crowd. <laughs> what is the more culturally impactful of the two? I mean, in terms of impact on those who view it, it's the guy. It's yeah, it's the <laughs> wank guy. Those people were scarred. In terms of cultural impact, I think the other one has like, like people, yeah. more people have seen it um, just I'm due to the profile. Guy. But but I agree. I agree. But if you've seen that that particular <laughs> pitch invader, um, then you know, like you just it's you it's know. just part of the fabric of your life now. Yeah. Which kicked it off. I don't know if you remember or recall. I've since been banned or blocked by him. But the weird fake Zima guy that talked about his BMW, yeah, blocked me for like in response to the the gif of the the guy running onto the pitch and doing you know the wank motion zima I, guy blocked you for that well because i responded with the tweet was just like the emoji of the goat which he <laughs> assumed was in response to suarez and then called me a racist even though the goat was the the pitch invader you right know? greatest wank of all time that too so um that's still one of my all-time favorite favorite gifts or pitch invader moments. But yeah, I'll have to agree in saying that the uh, you know flipping off Messi uh, surpassed him. The I and I think <laughs> in those in those moments we have our our heroes and our and our villains. <laughs> um, 
which brings us to our our next segment heroes and villains um we're gonna kick this off with the villains and i think everybody in the lfc fandom uh would know who the number one villain is this week after the draw against united and that is none other than martin atkinson uh, the referee who oversaw proceedings uh, against United. And, I mean, to a lesser extent, whoever was sitting at the professional game match officials' uh, office in London uh, <laughs> as the VAR ref. I mean, it got to a point of, of almost like incredul- incredulity watching that match where you're just like, this, it's... It just didn't seem possible for a refereeing performance like that. You can't. Well, first off, I have to disagree with this nomination because it has nothing to do with social media, right? These these are our social media heroes and villains, but <laughs> I think he transcends transcends typical like nomination process. Oh yeah, but. I don't know. There's so many thoughts. Right. Obviously, like the between like 20th minute to 60th minute, United didn't commit a foul, even though we had 60% possession. The <laughs> I'm impressed with us not having to talk about it up to this point. So I yeah. think it's all come now. The blatant disregard for, uh, you know, the foul at the time, which he said, like, you know, I didn't. I don't know how this has come out, but I didn't give it because of R. And then somehow Jamie Carragher thinks like. I'm going to put on like an, a, a virtual reality headset and this is going to convince the masses that like this is the way that we should view this. Like, And anybody is in, in their right mind is looking at Carragher thinking like what is this crackpot doing like putting on a VR headset and pretending that they're in Martin Atkinson's spot on the pitch even though they probably were and saw exactly what he saw. But you know, this, this is the age of Trump and, 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 and you're not going to convince people that way. But anyway – I don't know. I'm done. I'm, I'm done tight. It, it was so bad. Even we, we didn't want to get into stats, XG, anything like that. Yeah. But the delusion that I'm, I'm doing a lot of hand motions right now. I'm very, yeah. I'm very like animated. And For I'm those upset. of you at home, you can't see it, but, <laughs> but the delusion from the manager to the players, just blatantly tweeting like, Oh, you know, we were robbed of the win. Didn't deserve, didn't deserve a draw. Like what the fuck? Like what? What were you watching? Like, like all like nominated, literally nominated, the Atkinson as one of the you know as a man of the match, like that. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like for me, for uh, he doesn't have a British accent. Not that that was a good British accent, but like to come out and say like for me, like you know, credit credit to the. (laughs) <laughs> credit to the uh, ref for letting things play on and letting it be a derby. Like, wh- y- you can't make that up. You cannot yeah. make that up. And have the players, multiple players, come out and say, like, you know, robbed of three points or <laughs> deserved more than a draw. Like, you created – the only chance you created wasn't actually a chance because it should have been nullified. You created yeah. nothing. You started eight defenders – I don't know. I'm actually just wiping it. It's not Martin Atkinson. It's just United yeah. Jeff, that are the ultimate, <laughs> the petulant villains. And they are the perpetual, the perpetual villains. I I thought it was. I think the whole 
I think the real villain is the whole conversation, as you said, surrounding VAR and the referees and the way that they use VAR to protect their decisions and the clear and obvious uh, clause on all of this stuff where, oh, yeah, I would have changed my mind, but it wasn't clear and obvious, um, which is just a bailout for every referee in any decision they make. Yep, VAR. Yeah, it's not cl- it's not clear and obvious enough, so I I don't have to give it. Um, so it's a complete bailout for for any situation, um, and the conversation surrounding things. And and I think I may have talked about this before, but the point of VAR is not to, or it shouldn't be, uh, to back up referees or to yeah. act as a cover for refereeing decisions. It's supposed to exist to get the decisions right. So... All of this talk of like, well, I can see why he hasn't given it. <laughs> and and all this ambiguity surrounding fouls and penalties. And this goes not just for the Liverpool game, for every game. Like Arsenal had <laughs> against Sheffield United. I mean, I think it's hilarious that Arsenal lost. <laughs> but essentially the same penalty that Bobby Madley gave to Liverpool when David Luiz pulled back Mohamed Salah by the shirt. The same exact incident happened in that Sheffield United game. And it should have been a pen. And yeah. they looked at it and they said, no, it, it isn't. Even though he's got a whole handful of the shirt, it's, it, it's, it's comical at this point. Like that, that VAR is allowed to be this, kind of cover for referees where they they can just still impart this ambiguity on each situation um and people can say well i can see why he hasn't given it or oh there is there enough contact all this stuff var was supposed to make it so when there is contact the foul is given like that's a that's yeah that's why it exists so um I have to give a it, it's a minor minor hero to uh at Zeets. I don't know. You I'm sure you follow Zito. Um yeah. but his thread uh caught me in the right way in the moment and then I added a little bit to it, but he said that was such a foul on Origi LOL. All of a sudden because it wasn't called people and commentators are pretending that the concept of a foul <laughs> is so ambiguous that it only exists in theory. Yeah. And so that for his first reply in the thread, was it a foul? Well, first we must determine if the self truly exists in order to get whether it was Origi, <laughs> the self who felt the contact or the idea of Origi, his own self delusion, which can't honestly feel contact before that we can't make any claims about a foul. So I brought it back to the NBA's current plight, which I'm not going to dive into, you know, the ins and outs of that. But the canned response of NBA uh, executives and players now is, I haven't, I don't know enough about Chinese history to comment on democratic (laughs) protests in Hong Kong. And so now... (laughs) 
I can't comment on fouls because I haven't read up enough on their history is yeah. my is my new uh my new take but yeah the bottom line is that people are using VAR to um basically justify the decisions that they make and it clouds it 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 clouds the whole game in this weird ambiguous thing where they're like well because Martin Atkinson saw the contact and didn't give the foul the VAR isn't going to overturn it because it's not clear and obvious that he should have given a foul, but it is. And that, and that's really the rub yeah. is. Meanwhile, like this microscopic approach to off, like simultaneously at the, off, at the same time, they're looking at offsides yeah. through this, what and is the handles. exact opposite of, yeah, <laughs> of what is the exact opposite of clear and obvious you know, and even like the debate about Mane's went like continues to kind of go on between like I think some Brunish posted like a little snippet, but then they added it, but then they talked about like the context of whether it led to a chance or whether Mane had to regain control and then create his own chance, which he did. Yeah. Like the like just call like honestly, like if I'm looking at it, like do you want do you want to have to go back to that buildup to say, oh, we have to go all the way back and this goal, which happened 15 seconds later, is nullified because of a foul? Like, the answer is yes, because you <laughs> want, like, it's not about this, oh, it happened so long before. Like, that's the way people are viewing it. It's everything. Everything is black and white, yeah. right? Was it a foul? Yes. The goal is nullified, right? doesn't matter right. if he saw it or he didn't see it. Same way for, like, I mean, Mane's handball. To me, like, that that to me is in the spirit of it. Like, did he, uh, I don't know, did he gain an advantage with it? Obviously, because he scored a goal from it, but it hit his hand and it fell that way. Yeah. Despite the fact that he was fouled, like, twice outside of the penalty area and in the penalty yeah. area during <laughs> that same review process. So it's just, it, it's all just, it's so ridiculous and somebody came out and said like just say it's for offsides call right right maybe that's the baby step and then cut yeah. it cut cut everything else out or just just use it right like to, <laughs> because that i think they, they said what maybe one one of those calls has actually been overturned yeah in terms of like something that was seen or called on the pitch that went against it yeah. like 50-50s have been upheld, but it's just—it's it, not what—it's not what it is, right? You've introduced it to be black and white, and it's just created more gray. Yeah, it is. It, it's a disaster, and I know that there's been a lot of oh, like whining about the result, whatever. It at the end of the day, like the technology exists for a reason, and we're not getting—you know—the calls still aren't right. So. Um, yeah, it it absolutely is what it is. Um, the, <laughs> but there, uh, we're using VAR right now to make a decision. Like Atkinson, United Bar, not included because right. it's not social media based. Right. Um, I yeah, and I I'll actually move to. I'll move to the next one just in, just in the interest of time because I think we could do a whole episode on uh, potential villain number two. 
um, which you guys will just have to stay tuned for because I think that'll be a point of discussion um, <laughs> in the future. But we're both heated about. I yeah. Think. the The next one though is the, and this was all over social media, so I think it counts just by by. Yeah. Um, because of our social media interaction yeah. with with <laughs> villain. So for well, anyone who has been around literally since like season one. Um, we're talking 15, 16 season mm. or 14, 15. I think we had a little bit of a feud with Sacramento Republic, a uh, American club in the USL, the second division in the U S because of the amount of groveling that they did. <laughs> Uh, to get Don Garber and MLS to notice them and give them admittance to their league. Well, SAC has finally gotten their wish, um, and they will be moving to MLS starting in the 2021 season. Um, Six years from the time that we first criticized (laughs) their, uh, their block party, that they had um, with the Garber heads um, in full effect. So I'm interested as, as because I, <laughs> I have involvement in the USL and all this stuff. You've got skin in the game, but for you as kind of a, you know, a third party, not, not too involved with what's gone on. How do you feel about, about this, uh, alignment of sac republic with now the the evil empire that is mls let me say this about all all of the things that we never get to talk about it anymore on the podcast we keep everything liverpool based and rightfully so yeah you you guys have your own thing but i can say like i don't i don't care <laughs> like i don't care about usl now nah, <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've basically been saying this for years. I, I was writing your coattails before on on all of your positions and basically being a yes man for you. But <laughs> I, I don't care what it, I, I don't know what there is to care about. But like, uh, go go locomotive. Like yeah. all all behind yeah, El Paso always right. But like, my question is, having said like, why? My next question is like why? Like why like why now? Like weren't they let's add some context. So the 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 rivalry I would say we have, which is now rightfully so fueled by an actual competitive rivalry within yourself, yeah. right? But prior to that was <laughs> we we wanted to get the person on their social media, like on the podcast. We yeah, wanted to talk about they kind of bailed. And they then did. the garber like like fat head thing kind of happened but mike like why like why now for for sacramento why has sacramento now been deemed because i was just in sacramento i'm spending more time in california um incredible lsc support group and pub in sacramento i'll say that yes but but why like why now like they brought out the garber heads years ago why are they now admitted to to mls Oh, I mean, somebody make like a larger down payment. Yeah, uh, okay. I mean, essentially. <laughs> so they they brought in 
so the guy who founded the team is no longer the owner. Um, he is involved, I think. Uh, he's like on the board, but okay. the majority owner uh, came in, billionaire, uh, has the the clout <laughs> to. Uh, oh, there's a new owner now, new billionaire owner. Yeah. Yeah, so their original owner was a guy who was like, I want to start a community team in Sacramento, you know, for the city, because I think it could be successful here. And it it followed what MLS has done for a while. Uh, Minnesota United is an example of this. I think, gosh, I'm trying to think of the other teams that have is it the essentially acted as like the, yeah. I, I think FC Cincinnati's owner was rich enough when they came in, but okay. But the bottom line is that they do this thing where they allow the lower league team to be the you know the proof of concept that like this can yeah. be successful. Um, they draw you know few tens of thousands, and MLS says yeah good enough, and now we just need the uh, franchise fee. So they're going to pay upwards of 200 million to join um, with no benefit. It doesn't get invested in the playing squad. It doesn't get invested in a stadium, doesn't get, you know, and uh, essentially now they just look for that money and a, the beginnings of talks with the city to build a stadium with as little capital from the ownership group as possible um so yeah that's those are essentially what what come into play and uh garber said specifically in this press conference that um what got this over the line was the change in ownership oh no (laughs) (laughs) literally those words escaped his mouth because at this point it doesn't matter garber doesn't like we're at a point as you said this is this is trump's america we can just say the the like fucked up shit that we want where it's like, Hey, that guy who started the team. Yeah. Like we stole his idea or, you know, paid him off, whatever. Um, and, and now we're in and we're just going to take this, you know, as high as we can take it. And I, I all part of me wants to say like, it's just Garber in the MLS, but almost, I, I think I saw it from, pop up on your feed was like the original owner like pushed in the background yeah. as all of these all all of these other supporters were in there too because like everybody i don't know it's easy for it's easy for me to ridicule because i'm hoping one day you know uh, you know the el paso team maybe makes that jump right it'd be cool yeah. to have a professional sports team in there but do we you know do we have phil Baki on here as the villain as as Greg Ringo's villain for being a part for being a part of this process at that time. I hope I hope we get to that point eventually. So <laughs> like individuals I can't really fault, right? Because right. you're gonna like, you know, it's good for me, it's good for the club. But as an outsider, you just look on this and like just the backwards of the just the rancidness of the, the like the organization, the system, how it impacts, you know, things that we don't get to talk about anymore, which is just the, you know, ineptitude of the U S men's national team and everything else. It's just, it just permeates everything. So, and it's not just the system, but it's the, 
you know, the people in the crowd basically saying Heil Hitler and, and going <laughs> with it. Maybe that was maybe that was harsh, but uh... <laughs> no, I, I like. Well, I mean, in terms of me being the villain, when you know, if El Paso ever makes it to MLS, you know, you either die a hero, you either die a hero, or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. So, um, but uh, it, it it is like uh, it's a fascinating thing to me because, well, I mean, this season, Sac Republic finished seventh in the USL Western Conference, El Paso finished sixth. So just from a practical standpoint, like Sac Republic <laughs> isn't even in the top 10 teams in USL in terms of the actual on-field performance. And they do okay attendance-wise. I think they averaged around 10,000, um, which when you, <laughs> when you apply the USL, uh, I'd say about 15 to 20% uh fudging of like who's actually you know butts and seats um they're probably you know they're probably pulling about eight eight grand a game maybe nine um but the the strangest thing is you know on field like it it's just something that's so easily dealt with in in europe and it's just one of those things that's so frustrating is the team that should go to MLS already exists in the USL West, and it's Phoenix because yeah. they have absolutely it dominated, right? <laughs> they won 20, 21 games in a row. Um, and, yeah, they ran away with the league. They, uh, I want to say they ended with a 20-point advantage, like, over the you know, second, which no one was even in there. Yeah in their area code and uh but sac republic is the one going to mls despite finishing you know 30 points below <laughs> the team at the that, top so that was my why it was my like what like why now right because they had been they had been good in previous seasons but mm-hmm. now it's just and it it basically confirmed you know they've got one of the old boys in now yeah, they they won USL their inaugural year, um, so that would have been <laughs> the time the time to go, um, maybe, maybe time yeah, and treat it as a promotion, but um, but no such luck. So uh, <laughs> now that now the rant is over, we've got our more lighthearted uh, villain, and that is BR Live, um, mm. who just can't keep away from basketball for whatever reason <laughs> they've got steve nash in the studio and today they tweeted alternate designs for europe's big teams as basketball jerseys i just had a viscerally bad reaction to to seeing this on the timeline what well, reminds me of like harry kane rocking the like night like football which i think My we also treated as a villain at the time I think so. <laughs> rightfully so like and i'll say this about you know I, i've acknowledged the age gap and how well like football twitter reacts like i used to get a kick out of that stuff like ooh, what would what would a chicago bears like kit look like on an nba jersey 
right? Sure. Like ESPN used to do that crap all the time. <laughs> um, but li- like looking back on it, <clears throat> my first reaction was seeing the Chelsea kick, and I saw like the pew bros, like you know, out Sunday fun day bro, like rocking it. <laughs> Like to the fullest extent possible. Saturdays are for the blues. <laughs> I had forgotten about that. Which reminds I want to include them as the villain on this episode, even though they have nothing. They are like the ultimate villain. And now they're like, there's more of them now. Like, because Chelsea, the blues now for the bros. Like, Saturdays are for the, the, the blows. Um, <laughs> Or the Pulisic blows. So if there was one name, I couldn't believe it when I saw it. Like it, it had to be fake, but it's so like that the Twitter footprint is so small. I'm not sure if it is. I'm going to have to dive in to see who they're following to see if it's legit or not. But in this like douchebag post of which kit you rocking, bro. I mean, they didn't say bro, but they say, which kit are you rocking? Um, <laughs> Unfortunately, they've got Liverpool in there. They've got City. Yeah, they do. Yes, G, Real Madrid, Barcelona, and then they've got Chelsea in there. So I scroll down and I think, okay, out of all like the Pubros, like, what's the most like Pubros sounding name? And I see a response from at Brock Chadwick three, a man whose name has like two of the whitest names. <laughs> Like Brock and Chad, like if you're talking about like, like, you know, the memes like "Okay, Karen," like thanks for a white woman's name. Yeah. Like Brock or Chad is up there for those. Um, he's got a lot of in. No, he doesn't. He has one tweet, um, <laughs> a retweet, a response, and then a, a retweet from that. He just says Barcelona looking clean, which you know, as as a Brock or a Chad. Or a Brock and a Chad um, was the douchiest thing he could possibly say. Um, he has zero followers, obviously. Obviously. Uh, no avatar, no header, anything like that. He's actually only following NBA accounts. And he looks to me Paul George, Victor Oladipo, Indiana basketball. He may be from Indiana, which adds <laughs> oh, to the. As an Indiana native, adds to the Brock Chad, you know, kind of context. Um, and it, I mean, the plot thickens as far as you're concerned. From the Indiana perspective, yeah. or oh yeah, the Indiana well, connection. Because because I I know them, I've seen them, and they're at fault for all the ills of the world right now, from <laughs> Trump to Brexit. I don't know, any of the other ones, to basically soccer Twitter, um, the Brock Chadwicks of the world. To me, he's up there with the Chelsea Saturday or for the Blues. Like, short list for who's the guy that had the most punchable face? Yep. Short list for, like, ultimate <laughs> villains. Just in name, just by the name only. I, uh, yeah, the, the jerseys were, I mean, they literally were just a copy of the home kit with like the sponsor moved. (laughs) Like cut out. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so they weren't, it wasn't anything that I'm looking at and like, oh my God, like that's so cool. Cause it was just 
the home kit turned into a basketball jersey. But yeah. it was almost too perfect when when you were talking about Pubros and and just <laughs> a guy named Brock Chadwick jumping into the replies just seemed almost almost beyond <laughs> beyond what could possibly yeah. be real. Um, and in true bro fashion, calling out the Barcelona kit because he still probably hasn't heard that Christian Pulisic has moved to Chelsea. Right. Like once he finds that information, though, <laughs> full on Chelsea blue right there, <laughs> heading to Fado on match days or God knows where they go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I yeah. Um, to 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 transition <laughs> to our heroes, I have. It's a tough transition. I have. Uh, well. I should have done it from Sac Republic because I used this meme <laughs> in in the context of Sacramento's move to MLS. Um, and most of you will have seen this, but my first nomination for hero this week is none other than America's sweetheart, Paul Rudd. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Paul Rudd was on the... YouTube show Hot uh, Hot Ones, uh, which if you haven't seen it, celebrities get interviewed while eating increasingly hot wings and uh, having to like deal with the spice of what is going on. A um, couple of things came out of that, but the main thing that's made its way across the internet recently is this particular meme, which you may recognize just from the audio. Hey. Look at us. Look at us. Huh? Who would have thought? Not me. <laughs> so in relation to that meme, I said Sacramento joins MLS and Garber. <laughs> Look at us. Who would have <laughs> thought? Not me. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, Paul, I mean, he is one of the most likable celebrities around and this meme is is getting a lot of mileage um which uh i don't know it's it's good to see paul back in the uh in the meme spotlight <laughs> i won't say the full extent of what i said earlier but one of the most i'll say it diplomatically one of the most universally liked people i don't know just in hollywood in movie around in the world maybe for sure um but the application the application of that video meme or meme as they say here <laughs> or as the french say meme which i always get a kick out of but the application i've seen it about three or four times just today one of yours and two or three others from other people that were just spot on so paul rudd always a, a, a hero to the world and a hero to my heart. <laughs> um, yeah. So Paul, I mean, Paul is literally to the point where I think most people see a movie of his and even if they don't like it, they like it just because he's in it. Yeah. I might not like the movie, but I'll still like Paul Rudd in that movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, just <laughs> absolutely, um, absolutely over the top 
in terms of likability, but we do have one serious hero this week. Um, and I do want to give them their, their, uh, their due credit because the spirit of Shankly, um, today came out with a statement about the club world cup, which is going to be held in Qatar and Liverpool, obviously playing in that as European champions. And they, uh, put out a statement. I won't read the whole thing, but, um, I've retweeted it from the two Ray Gringos, so if you haven't seen it yet, you can check it out at Spirit of Shankly or on our Twitter as well. Um, They just said, a number of supporters have contacted us to raise issues around migrant worker deaths, workers' rights, and human rights, as well as fans being worried for their own safety and well-being in relation to traveling to Qatar for the Club World Cup. A supporters group taking a stand like this in the human human rights realm, um, because Qatar obviously getting ready for the 2022 World Cup. Um, I won't get into the ins and outs of, of labor in the Gulf states, but Qatar terrible record in terms of their uh, in terms of their treatment of the workers who uh, work for the oil companies in, in the country also. Uh, working for the construction companies building these stadiums, um, not to mention their treatment of LGBTQ uh, community, just completely awful. It's a big step, though, for a supporters group to take a stand like this um, in advance of a, a competition that we know is is a little bit of a cash grab for for FIFA. Um Credit to to Spirit of Shankly for coming out with with this statement. Yeah, and even in the you know multi page document they also posted about the uh, I don't know if it was the FIFA World Cup or the Qatari response to it, but just all <laughs> all of the issues that they kind of raise are buried in between. Like, can I drink on site? What hotels will be there? Like, how much does it cost for an Uber? So. I don't know, you know, it it's things like the we've railed against the blatant corruption and abuses before. So to see it from a club, it it's not easy for like an official supporters club to come out with the status that they have and you know, basically I I don't know what it does is call into question like the responses I saw are why are we taking part in this? Right? which is for for a club is a dangerous thing to kind of go against FIFA to do that right and it it you know may may end up putting somebody in a difficult spot i some of the responses were you know to avoid long travel in general for for the overall season but some of them were were generally against it in terms of like boycotting this uh boycotting the the world cup in general um and I don't know. I mean, ultimately, that that to me is kind of the next step, right? If we talk about combating racism, it's not it's not a FIFA kit that says we're all against racism. It you know, it's not a ten thousand dollar fine. Um, and this is up there. This is up you know, this is up there equal to yeah. I'm not going to say if not more, 
but just like the the human rights abuses, the you know blatant disregard for health and safety of workers to create which will be an atmosphere that will extremely benefit <laughs> a small minority of people, you know, monetarily wise. So I don't know. It, it, it takes balls to be able to put that out there. Um, and, and I think it challenges the club to also begin to do the right thing, which will in turn, you know, challenge the football world to do the right thing. It is, uh, it comes at a time to, you know, we're, we're just a couple of years away from that, that world cup in Qatar, uh, which still remains a, a kind of a question mark, I think for everybody, because there are all these logistical concerns, but also the, the human rights concerns, um, and just the, the fan safety concerns, uh, um, of those who would, who would like to travel, uh, it, I think it raises the issue back into the nat- the kind of international consciousness um, at a time when these sort of things need to be talked about and, and need to be discussed. Uh, and, and the ability of a country like Qatar to be at the forefront of FIFA competitions despite their human rights record needs to be <laughs> needs to be called into question. And FIFA's dealings with a country like that need to be called into question. Yeah. I mean, we talk, we ridicule the Ballon d'Or like process, you know, for blatant <laughs> like aptitude. But they're, I don't know, you know, we, it, I almost brought it up, I'm not going to bring it up. But it's just this, this kind of blind eye that we turn towards these negative situations because they're wrapped around this game that we love, right? And it, it, it goes all the way through to the club level, the player level, down to the fan level. Um, and, you know, question marks around Qatar, it'll still be, it'll probably go off, you know. A couple thousand more will die, but they'll have stadiums that are like AC in the middle of the, <laughs> in the middle of, uh, in the middle of the Middle East, you know, but it, it like we know these things are going to happen because there's going to be enough people that will go there, will take part in it because they love the sport and they love the event. Um, and so that's why I kind of say I think we're at that level where more drastic things happen, have to happen in order for something to truly change or be impacted. Which is the uh, the kind of unfortunate situation we live in, but um, but the spirit should- is frankly doing doing their part to uh to bring this uh into into the forefront um yeah we should have these probably and led with (laughs) the spirit of shankly and closed with the lovable paul rudd yeah um i mean we uh (laughs) we need to close with some music um and i'm not sure i'm not sure what to close with um the unfortunately Paul Rudd hasn't put out an album, so <laughs> just loop just loop the video and, <laughs> and, and let that ride out. Yeah. No, why not? Why not? The <laughs> the hot ones meme um as the as the outro music. Um yeah. Uh I I hope 
you guys uh, who have made it this far have enjoyed the podcast. Um, whenever me and Pat go a long time without uh, recording, we we always have longer episodes. But uh, I do appreciate you sticking in there. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play. Uh, we're we're pretty much anywhere. And then we've uh, we're we're primarily on on Twitter. Um, that's that's where we live in terms of uh, social media. So find us on Twitter at Two Red Gringos, or uh, you can find Pat at Mexico City LFC um, and interact with us there because uh, we do. Uh, I don't know. We we enjoy the interaction, um, and uh, and we love talking to to other Liverpool fans about Liverpool. Um, we love it. Aside from that. Um, hopefully we won't have quite as long of a break until the next one, but who knows, given the, uh, the madness of, uh, of the fall for (laughs) both of us, especially, especially Pat, who's still planning his, uh, his wedding reception there in Mexico city. So, um, little debate about the, uh, about the music is, is, is what's going on. And I'm having a similar problem myself. We'll get to the heart of it, but yeah, maybe we uh, maybe we drop a live episode on him. Um, <sighs> yeah, <it's>, uh, <laughs> international, international heat. heat. Uh, yeah, um, I don't know. I'm gonna go with an oldie but a goodie here as we fade out. But until next time, guys. Adios. Adios. Somewhere between psychotic and iconic Somewhere between I want it and I got it Somewhere between I'm sober and I'm lifted Somewhere between a mistress and commitment But I stay down, girl I always stay down Get down, never lay down Promise to break everybody out before I break down Everyone just wait now, so much on my plate now People I believed in, they don't even show their face now What they got to say now, nothing they can say now Nothing really changed, but still they look at me away now What more can I say now, what more can I say now You might feel like nothing was the same I still been drinking on the low, mobbing on the low, fucking on the low, smoking on the low. I still been plotting on the low, scheming on the low. The farthest thing from perfect, like everyone I know. I just been drinking on the low, mobbing on the low. So what's this? Uh, what's this you gotta talk about? I remembered it. I remembered it. As I was at the cut to music. What was Pat talking about? I was actually trying to think about what I was referencing. And it was the, I can't remember who like posted or retweeted it, but it was like a different world on Twitter that I hadn't experienced was the uh, Nick at run the FUT market. Yes. Uh, One of the like kind of FIFA, like uh, Twitch live streamers. Yeah in the world i just saw this was pretty interesting like i like really loathe most of those like extended youtube clips which is hilarious because you know we drop like two hour episodes but (laughs) a 10 minute video upsets me um 
but he was basically calling out the I don't know, kind of the 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 FIFA competitive world. Yeah. And like matchmaking, like dodging top opponents, like going after and targeted certain certain people too. Yeah. So it was so I, I, I was looking at that video, other videos like kind of drop, going down that rabbit hole. And it was just it was wild, man. Yeah. Oh, no, it, that's crazy to me because well, one, like there are people who like he was referencing EMLS and all that stuff. Like the whole esports side of FIFA is obviously there's all these tournaments, there's all these events, money, a lot of money's involved. Um, and so the idea that you know, if I'm if I'm talking to you and I say, Hey, like I'm gonna search for a game now, it's like, oh okay, I'm gonna I'll I'll hold off. So yeah we don't accidentally get matched together that's that's nuts like (laughs) it's it's literally the i i thought and and maybe it's just my understanding of of east of the whatever like soccer esports because the whole idea of fifa esports blows my mind like it doesn't really make sense to me like esports that makes sense to me are like stuff that you wouldn't do in real life, like like shooters and and like battle royales yeah, and stuff like that. Like, yeah, yeah, like that stuff. Like that makes sense to me because you can't do that in real life. But I can yeah. go to a soccer game. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's a, so the idea of watching another like streamers, I get and and like the career modes and all that stuff. Like because it's kind of an alternate history you know reality or whatever it's like oh i can make i can take x team to the champions league that you know would never make it or something like that yeah like Career aside modes from that sort of thing the game you know i can't see humans hunted right you know that's not i, got, I, <laughs> I can see exactly so like yeah i don't know like that kind of stuff as an esport makes sense to me but the the fact that they're like oh our ultimate teams are gonna play against each other and i'm gonna watch like two dudes play ultimate team that just i, I don't understand that as an esport it's like i can go watch soccer or turn on the tv and watch actual like people actually play yeah. soccer um and and that's what because and i'm not like you know i'm not even gonna do you know i'm not gonna do like the boomer thing of like shitting on streamers or anything like that because oh yeah it's like two different two different things but when it's competitive and there's like you know all these people watching on twitch and stuff i just i we also know that like fifa he talks about it in the video but like fifa isn't that good like it's not such a finely tuned game yeah. that I that people can like compete at it. You know what I mean? Where it's like we don't even know like what the threshold is of of the bullshit that happens like yeah. in the game. So I just don't understand how anyone could have the patience to play it competitively. Yeah. And that that's what drew me to it initially was this like kind of bashing bashing fifa a little bit right like i've never really gotten into ps you know yeah. the football manager I, I need some like kind of gameplay interaction sure. that i'm used to and that's why i always go back to fifa even though you know they added 
you know, customize your manager look this year and it revolutionized manager mode, right? Like I'm not going to play like a VP and all that because it, like seeing him, even though he's one of the top ranked people in the world in like the FUT, like seeing him bash that kind of drew me to it. But then I was just like, I don't know, the continued hate for FIFA helped fuel it because it was just like, like this should not be competitive esports, not like takeaway like takes of esports and and what should be an esport or not in general but yeah. just see like how how awful some like some of that like how it can be manipulated how it's just not up to the standard yeah now, kind of gave us confidence in that we've been right all right all along in our fifa <laughs> bashing stuff so, uh, like yeah i mean like if you play fifa at home you know like no harm no foul you're playing like against your friends or whatever it's not you know it's not a big deal but some of these guys are playing for like sponsorship dollars and all this stuff and the idea that you can you know manipulate the system to benefit you where i you know i I don't know the ins and outs but i guess you know they play these like 30 match weekend yeah challenges or whatever um, and it's just random who you get matched with. Yeah. If they're, you know, if they're manipulating the results of that, but that's also how you're getting placed and how you're getting sponsorships and how you're getting all this stuff. Like that's literally match fixing. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's literally the. Competitive, right. And these are like, yeah. there are rules set out there, like whether or not you agree with everything it should sure. be like, the people that sign up for this stuff are all fully invested. And yeah. it, you know, it kind of reminds me that, you know, I always used to think humans were inherently good, but then, you know, in collective spots, they're, they're really inherently bad. And like this, like FIFA match fixing, um, esports match fixing, yeah. uh, solidified it for me. Yeah. Well, and that, and that's what, I mean, cause there's, I don't know, like, um, with with some of these games, like, uh, I guess, you know, Fortnite or or Apex Legends or, or, like, any of these games, they've kind of made their way into, you know, like, Apex was at the X Games this year, um, <laughs> which is crazy to me still i you know i kind of still have trouble like wrapping my head around that um that video games are you know a sport now um but those once you get to that level or you're at that professional level like you're gonna be playing against these like other pros and all that stuff i just i figured like emls was (laughs) <laughs> that added a better layer too right? oh yeah the fact that they're involved in the corruption <laughs> all the bad people yeah. are emls and at the heart of it seemed like this goonie guy from like the emls like chicago fire yeah team too who's getting called out i just other people i just assumed there was like a schedule or you know like they're playing each other but i guess it's just like they play these challenges kind of on their own time. And yeah, it was just a very confusing. And I guess this is like, you know, the ignorant side of it where I was, I was kind of taken aback by 
the structure of the whole thing and or the lack thereof like i thought there i thought if you're in these competitive esports it's like oh okay i play in a league and we play these teams or something like that um or we play these guys um and that's just how it works but apparently apparently that's not how fifa works no it's like play random random people and somehow that's how you're classified too so yeah it was the the fifa bashing the emls bashing yeah i was all on board too but it's just another like because i know you've you you do the the twitch stuff more far more than i do and i still think we need to do some gringos based fifa sessions oh we do like like wandering into that like you know streaming world competitive gaming world was kind of brand new so to see all like all the different dynamics and i was happy because it kind of like reaffirmed all of the negative biases that i already had so yeah no it is it it seems absurd and yeah that was that was a very uh interesting video and and eye-opening to say the least because yeah i i just assumed there was some structure to it but it seems like it's uh (laughs) It's Full it's Full collusion. Hours. Just <laughs> they're taking yeah they're taking uh, taking lessons from their namesake uh, <laughs> at FIFA, at FIFA proper um, in uh, making sure things go down the way they want. Well, I'm glad I remembered that. <laughs> yeah, that was that was good, uh, man. I don't know. Well. Hey, I will. Uh, what we got? Champions League tomorrow. We got Tottenham on Sunday. Yep. Um, <clears throat> where am I at? Probably not next week, but uh, I don't know. I got some. I'm, I'm traveling less in November, obviously, with the wedding and stuff too. Yeah. But yeah. We'll, uh, we'll hit up another awesome. another pods. Awesome. Looking forward right. to it. EMLS tried to buy their way to to heaven to FIFA heaven. I think you've been muted. Did I get muted? Oh, there you are. Oh, okay. I couldn't hear you for some reason. Oh, yeah. The Hangover. The Hangover Association. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, man. All right. Later. I guess the money should have changed. I guess I should have forget where I came from. Wait till I get my money.